Well, hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of Millennial in the Middle. I'm Connor DeLynn. God bless the USA. If you're like me, I can't listen to that song without feeling some emotions. I can't listen to that song without having some memories flood my mind. And I think of all the patriotic songs or patriotic things out there, for me, that song riles me up and gets that feeling of patriotism really more than anything else. And I think it's because, at least in the time in my life, what I relate that song to and that song really hit big and was popular right after the attacks on 9-11 uh, in 2001. And I remember watching this song be sung at the World Series at Yankee Stadium just a month after the towers fell and watching the players tear up and this jam-packed stadium of fans with their hands over their hearts singing this song, God Bless the USA. I love this country. For those of you that listen to this podcast for more than 40 episodes in now, that doesn't come as any surprise to you. And what I want to talk a little bit today about is about patriotism and a little bit of soul searching that I personally have been through throughout this process of this podcast and interesting interviews and conversations that I've had And really, as I have sought to learn more and more about our country's history and our current situation in our history, it leads to some of those instances where you may be questioned, like, man, am I really that proud to be an American? Like the song says. Uh, In the interview with Jeff Calais just a couple weeks ago, if you haven't listened to that, he came in as our generational expert, a fascinating interview. I really loved my conversation with him. And frankly, I've had a lot of other conversations with him offline that I may share more of with you at a later time as I bring him on at some other times. Um, But him really bringing up this point that we talked about in that episode of, especially for me, the United States of America that's my team. And so it's easy to be loyal to your team. It's easy and only natural to root for your team. And it's kind of hard at times to look at the mirror, look in, look at yourself in the mirror and at our country and say, well, where could we be better? We hear so many people, if we watch the news or listen to the media right now, talk about how bad things are. I've said before that I have so many of you message me that listen to the podcast that are kind of the doomsdayers, right? Of like, oh man, our nation's just headed down the road to ruin, or we are just off our rocker. How can we ever come back from this? And I think it brings up this patriotic soul searching, like I said, that I want to walk you through the process of in this episode. Now today, I'm not going to give you the answers. I'll explain what I mean to that a little bit later on, but I really hope today 
gets you thinking and maybe starts this internal critical thinking thought process of your own and maybe we can come to some conclusions together. And that really is my goal. But before we jump into this, as always, I want to start with a story. And I want to start with that emotional side we just brought up by bringing up God Bless the USA. And I talked about Lee Greenwood singing this song in 2001 at the Yankee at the World Series at Yankee Stadium. That was game four. But I want to talk a little about what happened in game three. What happened at the start of game three in that World Series to me may be my favorite moment in sports of all time. Now, the reason I bring up sports again is because we've used this analogy of like the United States being our team and you wanting to root for your team and play for your team. And you don't want to say anything negative about your team and anyone that isn't on your team is against you. That's the enemy. You want to beat them. And so using this uh, analogy of kind of sports and our team, the greatest moment for sports in me is in the history of my life that I remember came right before the first pitch at, or it came as the first pitch of game three in the 2001 World Series. Now, let me set the scene. September 11th, 2001, we are attacked on our home soil for the first time since Pearl Harbor. This wasn't used to something we were seeing. We were used to seeing wars or bombs go off or casualties happen outside of the United States. But to happen on our home soil was something that just was jarring to Americans. And the whole point of terrorism was to do just that, to incite fear and terror of those that would normally just live a life where they do feel safe and protected. But that was threatened after the attacks at 9-11, and this country was not able to take a deep breath because, frankly, a lot of us in this period of time thought that another attack was imminent, that, that this was just the beginning of many other attacks like this to come, and the country was on edge. Now, at this time, uh, George W. Bush, now I make a rule on this podcast, I can't say George W. Bush without doing it in the accent, George W. Bush, he decided, I want to throw the first pitch at the baseball at the baseball game at Yankee Stadium to start off the World Series. Now, games had been stalled and canceled right after 9/11. Obviously, it took about a week for games to kind of start back up again. And anywhere during this period of time that had a crowd was a major safety threat, right? That there were going to be these large-scale attacks whenever large groups were gathering like this. And so George W. Bush said, I want to throw the first pitch at a game in the World Series. And so what does, what does the Secret Service and what do his, uh, his advisors tell him that he should do? They say, okay, let's throw it at game one in Arizona. And they were playing the Arizona Diamondbacks in the World Series. By the way, it was cool just the fact that the New York Yankees had made it to the World Series right after September 11th and feeling this time where I'm not a Yankees fan. I don't really like the Yankees and a lot of Americans don't like the Yankees. But in that period, you were kind of rooting for the Yankees because you were rooting for that city. You were rooting for those people. And more than being a Yankee or being a Red Sox or a Cubs fan or whatever it was, you were an American. 
and you saw a city that was in need and you really just wanted to root for him at this time. And they make it to the World Series and George Bush says, no, I'm not throwing the first pitch in Arizona. If I'm going to go throw the first pitch, I'm going to do it in Yankee Stadium just blocks away from where those towers fell. And I'm going to do it as a message to the world that we as Americans don't back down, that we can stand strong, and that we're not going anywhere. We're going to continue living our lives. And so basically it's agreed on. It's a security nightmare for the Secret Service and for the city of New York to bring the president of the United States out in the open at this large stadium event to throw the first pitch. So he comes and uh, as that happens, he's, he's preparing to basically throw the first pitch down below, uh, you know, kind of below the stadium before they're about to walk out. And he is handed, if you look up pictures of it online, the largest bulletproof vest you have ever seen. They say it weighed like 50 pounds and they make him throw this vest on and he can't move his arms really at all when he puts it on. And George W. says, well, how am I supposed to throw a pitch? How am I supposed to throw a pitch with this on? And they basically said, Mr. President, there's no way to do this without you wearing this. We're not going to let you walk out under out from this tunnel without this on. And he said, okay. So down below, he goes, well, I better start to warm up and throw a few practice throws in this vest. And he said, George W., that he had never been more nervous and more anxious than before his time throwing that first pitch. And he said he started throwing that pitch and he felt so stiff and this vest was so tight and so bulky and heavy. He had no clue how he was going to be able to throw it. And as he's down there throwing practice pitches in the tunnel, who walks past him? None other than Mr. November himself, Derek Jeter. And Derek Jeter comes up to him and he says, Now, I hope you know, Mr. President, that you better throw this from the mound or they'll boo you. And, you know, it was a lot, a lot of people go out and throw these honorary ceremonial first pitches at a baseball game and they don't stand on the pitcher's mound. They'll stand in front so they don't have to throw it as far. And he says, this is New York. They'll boo you if you don't throw it from the mound. And President Bush says, yeah, I was planning on throwing it from the mound. Derek Jeter goes to start walking away and he turns around and he says, oh, and one more thing. Don't bounce it. They'll boo you for that too. And George W. basically explains being in this situation where he knew that not only was he going to go out and throw a pitch, but he needed to go out and throw a strike. That it needed to be the perfect pitch. And he said, he said basically that just continued this feel of feeling so stressed and anxious about this situation. As Bush was introduced, he walked out from under the tunnel to a thunderous ballpark applause and a crowd cheering, USA, USA, USA. And he really just turned around, he embraced that chant and responded with a big thumbs up. I get the chills just thinking about that moment. And in one motion, Bush lined up, put that front foot back, and fired a perfect strike over home plate. The fans needed it. 
the American people needed it. And really, with one pitch, with one throw of the baseball, the president of the United States stood up to terror, showed this whole sign of strength to the nation and to the world. Bush told MLB.com about the experience. He said, I have never had such an adrenaline rush as when I finally made it to the mound. I was saying to the crowd, I'm with you. The country's with you. And I wound up and fired the pitch. I've been to conventions and rallies and speeches, but I've never felt anything so powerful and emotions so strong and the collective will of the crowd so evident. I love that story. Uh, every 9-11, I actually rewatch ESPN did a 30 for 30 where they go through and have interviews of Jeter and Bush and everyone else, the Secret Service that were involved, and they tell this story. And I just love what happened at that event and what that symbolized and signaled to our country. And it's moments like that that for me, like I listen to Lee Greenwood's lyrics and there's no doubt in my mind I'm proud to be an American, where at least I know I'm free. Like those words just resonate with my soul. And I don't exaggerate when I say that. And I think for a lot of Americans, you probably feel that same thing. And so to be that patriotic and to feel those feelings, it becomes tough when you hear over and over this thought of our country struggling or our country being so divided, or our country in a lot of ways feeling like we're not progressing or we're not taking steps forward. And even so far as when you read articles or talk to people and they show you evidence from, oh, this is this magazine or this article, it's basically telling you the United States is about to follow the trajectory of past empires and past nations throughout world history, and we are now on our decline, and history repeats itself. Do you believe that? Honest question. I don't know the answer. Do you believe that America is in decline? Now, what's interesting is Donald Trump, obviously this, isn't, this episode isn't about him at all today, but he ran for the presidency under the campaign slogan of make America great again. We've all heard that. We've seen the hats. We know what MAGA stands for, make America great again. And I think that concept sparked a debate in our country. And it made us ask a few different things. First off, well, what makes America great in the first place? And the second question well, if we need to make America great again, is that assuming that we're not great now? And if that is the case, then when was America great? Can we point the finger to the year or the time when America achieved all-time greatness and we are now searching for kind of this chance to pull the clock back to when America can match that greatness? Well, that's a tough question to ask. Now, like I told you today, I 
have had a lot of these questions internally. I've done, as I've done more research and read and my studies personally lately and a lot of conversations I've had around this podcast have led me to do a little bit of this patriotic soul searching. And like I said, today, I am not going to give you my answers to those two questions. What makes America great? And when were we at our greatest? And what was the reason for that? Like, what about that period of time made America so great? To give you a few examples here, like you might say, America's peak greatness was right after World War II. We were the only global superpower that came out of the World War II, uh, out of World War II, excuse me, without our economy being in shambles. In fact, it was the opposite. We had a position coming out of World War II as the greatest empire in the world. We were entering into the Cold War years where not only were we going to be great, but we wanted to make sure that the ideals, the ideologies, the philosophies of America were going to take root throughout the, the entire globe. And we wanted to contain the spread of communism. Well, heck, you might look at that period of time right there and go, well, America was at its greatest right then. But can you really look at America and say, well, what about as that appears to social rights? Can you say that at the beginning of 1960, that was when America was at its greatest? Well, if you're black, you definitely can. Maybe as a white man, yeah, maybe that was a great time to be an American. These are real questions we ask. Or maybe we say it was in the 1980s. It was Reaganism. And by the way, that campaign slogan came from Ronald Reagan in the first place anyway. He ran in 1980 with the campaign slogan, Make America Great Again, and Donald Trump just ran it back and did it again. Was that in the mid-80s when America was at its greatest? I think what we start to see as we go through this is our, our country's never been perfect. We've never claimed to be. But we're in an interesting period in history right now, and I think a lot of this is due to my generation. For those of you listening that are millennials, it's our generation. That we have embraced this idea of cancel culture and erasing history. I'm sorry, but you can't erase history and embrace progress at the same time. Because we need to understand and know our history so that we can build upon it, so that we continue to further that progress. I think about this idea of, man, we need to hold those of the past to current standards. And it becomes really difficult to do that because we lack, like we talked about again in that uh, conversation with Jeff Calais, we lack context. And in all of these debates and all of these issues, we need to bring some context to the story. And now I want to pose this question of, well, do you believe that the United States of America is the greatest country in the world? I'll tell you my entire life, if you were to ask me that question, there would be absolutely no hesitation. 
I would look you right in the eye and say, absolutely, America is the greatest country in, a wor in the world. America, freedom, let's do this. That's us. But admitting that your country isn't perfect doesn't mean that you don't love America. Admitting that there are some problems and that you'd like to discuss ways to improve or move forward and have a conversation based on problem solving rather than just being a negative Nancy, right? That may just be the most patriotic thing you could do. Because think about it. Having a desire to improve one's country, is there anything more patriotic than that? Isn't that what the founding fathers sought to do when they gathered together in a hot, stuffy room in Philadelphia? To write a constitution and form a foundation of government that they thought, heck, if we do it this way, maybe this can work for an American experiment of democracy to take place. And you know what? What we need to trust is that we can set a foundation, that we can lay a framework that generations to follow can build upon, can improve, can tweak. But can we set something up that will last? Now, that question of, is America the greatest country in the world? I want to play for you a clip. You've maybe seen this before, um, and it is a little long. I'm going to play a clip here for a few minutes. But this is really, I think, a monologue that is so powerful. It's from the TV show that was on HBO called Newsroom, starring Jeff Daniels. Uh, it was basically, it just ran for a few seasons from 2012 to 2014. So this clip is about eight years old. But what happens is there is a famous, in the show, he's fictionalized, but a famous news anchor who is asked the question, do you think America is the greatest country in the world? And he's in a position where this news anchor is actually sitting in between a Republican candidate for office and a Democrat candidate for office. He just basically gives this spiel about they try to pin him down. And they, Are you a Republican or a Democrat? And he says, I voted for both. I, he basically gets called out. Or Are you staying neutral? Do you do that to try and make sure your news isn't biased? And he doesn't really give any clear answer. He said, all I am is a fan of the New York Jets. And as they continue to take questions from the audience, and as this news anchor continues to evade the question and not really give true, honest answers, there's a point where he flips the switch and he gives an answer that shocks the audience. And it might shock you. But the answer that he comes to through this, I think we can learn a lot from. Take a listen. Let's move on to the next question. Go ahead. Hi, my name is Jenny. I'm a sophomore, and this is for all three of you. Can you say in one sentence or less what... <laughs> um, you know what I mean. Can you say why America is the greatest country in the world? Diversity and opportunity. Lewis? Uh, freedom and freedom. So let's keep it that way. Well, the New York Jets. <laughs> no, I'm going to hold you to an answer on that. What makes America the greatest country in the world? Well, 
Lewis and Sharon said it, diversity and opportunity and freedom and freedom. I'm not letting you go back to the airport without answering the question. Well, our Constitution is a masterpiece. James Madison was a genius. The Declaration of Independence is, for me, the single greatest piece of American writing. You don't look satisfied. One's a set of laws and the other's a declaration of war. I want a human moment from you. What about the people? Why is America Not the greatest, the greatest country in the world, Professor. That's my answer. You're saying... Yes. Let's talk about... Fine. The Sharon, the NEA is a loser. Yeah, it accounts for a penny out of her paycheck, but he gets to hit you with it anytime he wants. It doesn't cost money. It costs votes. It costs airtime and column inches. You know why people don't like liberals? Because they lose. If liberals are so smart, how come they lose so goddamn always? Hey. And with a straight face, you're going to tell students that America is so star-spangled awesome that we're the only ones in the world who have freedom? Canada has freedom. Japan has freedom. The UK, France, Italy, Germany, Spain, Australia, Belgium has freedom. So 207 sovereign states in the world, like 180 of them have freedom. All right. And yeah, you, uh, sorority girl. Just in case you accidentally wander into a voting booth one day, there's some things you should know. And one of them is there is absolutely no evidence to support the statement that we're the greatest country in the world. We're seventh in literacy, 27th in math, 22nd in science, 49th in life expectancy, 178th in infant mortality, third in median household income, number four in labor force, and number four in exports. We lead the world in only three categories. Number of incarcerated citizens per capita, number of adults who believe angels are real, and defense spending, where we spend more than the next 26 countries combined, 25 of whom are allies. Now, none of this is the fault of a 20-year-old college student, but you nonetheless are, without a doubt, a member of the worst period, generation period ever, period. So when you ask what makes us the greatest country in the world, I don't know what the f you're talking about. Yosemite? Sure used to be. We stood up for what was right. We fought for moral reasons. We passed laws, struck down laws for moral reasons. We waged wars on poverty, not poor people. We sacrificed, we cared about our neighbors. We put our money where our mouths were and we never beat our chest. We built great big things, made ungodly technological advances, explored the universe, cured diseases, and we cultivated the world's greatest artists and the world's greatest economy. We reached for the stars, acted like men. We aspired to intelligence. We didn't belittle it. It didn't make us feel inferior. We didn't identify ourselves by who we voted for in the last election, and we didn't, we didn't scare so easy. <laughs> we were able to be all these things and do all these things because we were informed by great men, men who were revered, First step in solving any problem is recognizing there is one. America is not the greatest country in the world anymore. I love the concept that teaches. I love when he says the first step in solving any problem is recognizing there is one. Now he says America is not the greatest country in the world anymore. Now I'm going to come back to that in just a minute, but I want to talk about a few points. If I were to ask you what makes America great, I would bet most of us would give some sort of answer like the two politicians give at the start of this clip. They say diversity 
They say, oh, diversity and freedom, opportunity, that's what makes America great. And I think for most of us, if we were really asked a question like that, we would probably give some word that was some value, like freedom or opportunity or progress, the American dream. But what does that mean? Can we take that just a little bit deeper? And well, what is it about America that gives you the type of opportunity that has had people flock to this nation for hundreds of years now? What is it about the United States of America that has attracted the world's greatest talent to want to build their businesses and bring their families to this nation? What is it? There's a lot of countries that have freedom, like he talks about. He says, You know, the UK, France, Italy, Germany, they all have freedom. There's 207 sovereign states in the world, and 180 of them have freedom. So I love that thought of looking a little deeper into this. And he does talk about the problems that America has. He then calls out my generation. And he says, the worst period, generation period ever, period. So when you ask what makes us the greatest country in the world, I don't know what the hell you're talking about, Yosemite. Now, obviously, there's some pessimism to that. But I love then where he takes this. Because what he talks about is, well, this is what has made our country great in the past. We stood up for what is right. We fought for moral reasons and we struck down laws for moral reasons. We built great things. We made these amazing technological advances. We cured diseases. We brought about the world's greatest artists and the world's greatest economy. I love the line he says, we reached for the stars and we acted like men. We aspired to intelligence. We didn't belittle it and it didn't make us feel inferior. And lastly, we didn't identify ourselves by those who we voted for in the last election, and we didn't scare so easy. We were able to do all of these things, these great men and women, because they were informed. Now, I hope that this episode today allows you to think a little bit and ponder on what, to you, makes this country great. And what can you do to make it even greater? Because at the end of the day, it's just a collection of some of its parts of individuals, right? But the follow-up question I would have asked to this, uh, you know, this news anchor fictional in this show I know, is I would say, okay, well, if the United States isn't the greatest country in the world, can I ask what country is better And I want you to think through that as well as you go through that. It is easy to talk about all the things that we have wrong in our nation at this moment. It's easy to talk about the division. It's easy to talk about things that are happening that you may not agree with on either side of the aisle. But all of those people complaining still choose to live here. And people still want to be a part of the, I'll put it in air quotes, American dream. What is it? I choose to live in America. All of us here at the end of the day, just because we were born here doesn't mean that we're stuck here. And there were a lot of people that were born other places that are now choosing 
to live here. I still feel that America is the greatest country in the world. I'm going to do further episodes where we talk about why that's the case. And in fact, this is going to be a recurring question that I start to ask some of my guests coming up. Um, Another one of the conversations that I have had, and we haven't released it yet because we haven't recorded, we just had a a lot of conversations leading up to this, is a gentleman I spent some time with this weekend who is from the UK. He's lived in Singapore. He's worked all over the world. And he's now brought his family to the United States. He originally came here working for Facebook. And I had a conversation with him this weekend about what he felt made America so great. And again, his different perspective was something that I maybe wouldn't have ever seen because his experiences are different than mine. So that's a question that I'm going to continually ask guests. What do you think it is that makes America so great? What's made us so great in the past? And what do you think we can do now to make ourselves even greater? Are we really, I'm speaking to my millennials at the moment, are we really a part of the worst period, generation period ever, period? I don't think we are. But if we continue with the cancel culture, with the erasing history, with the refusal to listen to one another, with increased division in all that we do, and yelling at each other in sound bites while the middle becomes harder and harder to find and the extremes become more and more loud, then yeah, that might be a prophecy that we fulfill. But it's up to those of us that truly do find ourselves somewhere in the middle that want to be better both as a nation and individually that can do things to change this course. I have a positive outlook when it comes to this nation. I have a lot of thoughts about what makes our country so great, and we're going to talk about some of them coming up. And we're also going to talk in history about some of the times where we were at our greatest. But even in those times where we were maybe at our greatest, some major issues we had and how we as a nation made progress and improved. While we weren't perfect then and we're not perfect now, we do have a pattern that we can follow as a nation of listening to each other and making steps forward. And if, you know, the generation, if our generation can leave it for the generation following us a little bit better, then we've done our bit. But I want you to think about that in a way that aren't just fancy, airy, floaty words like freedom, opportunity. I want you to think what that really means to you. Now, I started this episode on kind of an emotional sense, right? Why I love America? Because I'm proud to be an American and where at least I know I'm free and Lee Greenwood singing in a leather jacket draped uh, draped in an American flag, singing in front of a loud crowd, yelling, hooting, and hollering in Yankee Stadium. That's the emotional side of me of why I love this nation. Hey, and that's still great. Emotion is still a part of everything that we do. But just like when we look at political topics, we shouldn't just always make an emotional response. I don't want to have my reason for loving this country and choosing to be here. Just an emotional knee-jerk reaction. Why do I love America? Because it's awesome. It is awesome. But I want to be able to allow myself to critically think as well and actually be able to look someone in the eye and they say, What do you think, Connor, makes this country the greatest country in the world? 
I want to be able to have an answer that's more than just because it is. And I hope you do too. We'll continue this conversation. I'm purposely not giving you the answers because I want you to do a little patriotic soul searching as well. Until next time, clowns to left me, jokers to the right. Here I am stuck in the middle with you. Have a good one, everybody. God bless the USA. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right.